Hello, I'm Connor Dillman, and this is People Painting, a podcast of conversations with painters about their practices. My guest for this episode is Leroy Winter, a painter currently working in Chicago. This conversation was such a joy for me, and I think will be a really edifying lesson for anyone who's interested in picking the brain of a truly thoughtful and conscientious artist. We definitely covered some ground in a pretty dense hour, talking about everything from Leroy's early interest in illustration to the lineage of the subject matter that appears in his first solo show. But my favorite part about Leroy was just his genuine reverence for painting as a practice and way of life. He was so present and candid and engaged, and I'm just very grateful that he took the time to chat. It was super fun. All right, some more info on Leroy here. Leroy Winter is a painter from San Antonio, Texas, currently based in Chicago, Illinois. Leroy graduated from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago in December 2021, obtaining his Bachelor's of Fine Art. He has shown in a number of group shows from 2019 to 2021. In July of 2022, he presented his first solo exhibition, Mirage, at Martha's Contemporary in Austin, Texas. Fascinated by the prominence of myth-making in American culture, Leroy investigates symbols and iconography closely tied to narratives of the Western frontier and seeks to unearth the significance of these narratives beyond their precarious and hollow qualities. In his recent paintings, Leroy focuses on creatures that we associate with the frontier and seeks to portray them as spectral onlookers of the ceaseless expanse of settlers. The ghostly appearance of the creatures portrayed in these paintings, manifesting as apparitions in the distance, aim to provoke the viewer to question their relationship with nature and, more specifically, to challenge the narratives that have been projected on the land that they inhabit. So as I just mentioned in Leroy's bio there, his first solo show, Mirage, is currently on view at Martha's Contemporary in Austin. It's open from July 22nd to August 13th, so 100% go check it out if you're in Austin um, in that window. And you can check Martha's Instagram for hours. I believe they're open on Saturdays or by appointment, but um, yeah, double check that, but definitely go check out the show. And if you'd like show notes on hand as you listen to this episode, you can head to peoplepaintingpodcast.com where you'll find links to Leroy's work along with citations for all the artists that we mention in this episode. Leroy's work can also be found in the episode's description. Okay, that's all I've got. Enjoy Leroy Winter on People Painting. Well, I'm curious before we start talking about you, uh, what's the painting on the wall behind you? Oh, that's uh, this guy, Jacob Mattingly, who I went to school with. Uh, very good painter, really like low key. He hasn't had like a lot of shows lately, but he's yeah. super good. Yeah, it's rad. Super, yeah, super talented. Actually, like at the, it was a funny coincidence at the opening, I met one of his old friends. Oh, cool. Like he came up and she came up to me and she was like, oh, you know, Jacob Mattingly, right? And I was like, yeah. It's funny how openings can be like that. Like you just like how interconnected everything can be. Totally. And that kind of like manifests in that environment. Yeah. You see it a lot more. Yeah. But, um, yeah. He's really cool. Really nice guy. And his paintings are fucking crazy. Like, I, yeah. You were sitting there and really it was kind of exploding from behind your head. Huh? You were sitting there and it was kind of exploding from behind yeah. your head. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really well placed. I like to have it for Zoom. So. This yeah. is just my living room and it like as soon as I put it up like the whole living room just like clicked. Yeah. One of those things. But yeah, it's a crazy painting. That's like 
I scored with that. That's definitely one of his better paintings of his that I've seen, I think. Yeah, it's so cool. So, yeah, take good care of that. I will. Yeah, no, he's great. I'll send you his Instagram and stuff. Cool, please do. So you're in, and you're in Chicago right now, right? I am, yeah. Um, what part? What part of the city? Pilsen, which nice. is like uh, southwest of like downtown. So like cool. you have downtown and then, well, it's reversed on your own, but, and then Pilsen. So what's your um, living slash uh, studio situation there? So basically I have an apartment that I share with a roommate. Um, and then I have a small studio space that's like a 20 minute bike right away. Um, in this, it's like the neighborhood's really kind of ambiguous. It's like in between Chinatown and between Bridgeport, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like Chicago is very neighborhood specific. Um, but they also kind of bleed into each other a lot as neighborhoods do. And it's like very much in between like several different neighborhoods. But um, yeah, the, the studio space is really cool. It's like all these kind of like small spaces that the people who run the space like built themselves. And then in the middle of all of that, because it's a floor on a warehouse, like a lot of studio spaces in Chicago are like just made from old warehouse buildings because it's a very industrial city. There's a lot of like old abandoned warehouses and stuff. And they just like clear it out. Excuse me. They cleared out a floor of a warehouse and then they have a bunch of studio spaces and then they have a wood shop in the middle of that. Oh, so cool. Mm -hmm. How is that the first time that you've um, worked out of a studio that's like separate from where you live? Where, what, what are kind of the spaces that you've worked out of before? Um, in school, when I was in a uh, a class called advanced painting that was really cool that I learned a lot from um we had we were really privileged we had shared studio spaces it was crazy it was like some something out of like grad school like very you know like they weren't huge but like for that level of education it was pretty fancy schmancy it was like these uh studio cubicles that you split with one other person um, and right now my setup is I have something like that, but like to myself, it's like, I think it's eight by 10 feet. Oh, awesome. Um, which is just, just about as not, I couldn't go any smaller than that. It's like just what I need. And then there's a full wood shop in the middle. I still need to take advantage of a little more. That's kind of my next goal after I finish this show that I'm going to like take a quick little break from painting and just like build stuff, build stretcher bars and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Learn that's, that's brain. the first that's the first thing I was going to ask is, is mm -hmm. what you envision using that wood shop for you. You said frames. Is there, are you interested in other kinds of woodworking stuff? Yeah. I mean, mostly stretcher bars. And then I want to learn how to make frames. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, maybe, I don't know. I might mess around, make some like really rudimentary basic furniture. That could be kind of fun. You know, I'm kind of cool to, I'm happy to like experiment with anything, honestly. Yeah. Um, but yeah that's awesome yeah I, I always bring up um uh have you ever looked at frank moore's work no how do you spell his last name like more like uh pronounced like like more as in um, yes uh additional or however whatever synonym there is but it's m-o-o-r-e oh, okay that makes sense frank. yeah frank moore he was an artist he um uh in new york in like the kind of 70s 80s 90s 
he died of AIDS. And so towards the end of his life, he made all these really incredible paintings that kind of integrated like the chemical structures of AIDS viruses and medicine and, and all this really amazing, intricate stuff. Um, but he made all of his own frames and did some just incredible stuff. I'll, I'll send it to you um, after after we talk, but things like putting pill bottles oh, in, in resin. I've seen one of these paintings somewhere. Oh yeah? The one with the bed and the IV. I literally just saw that at a museum. Oh, I saw it was at the Blanton in Austin. That's where I saw that. That was Whoa, really you, recent. You saw that in person? Yeah, that's crazy. What was it like? It was cool. It was a really beautifully executed painting. I actually don't remember the frame so much, but it was the one with the 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 bed and the IV and it's like snowing. Yeah, yeah. I think the frame for that one's just kind of like a pillow or like a sort of it looks it looks like a soft white sort of frame if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think it's something like that. Yeah, so that one's not like the most adventurous, but yeah, there's other there's other ones like he has this this one painting that's sort of a commentary on the um, meat industry and there's like a cow in the center of the frame and the frame is made out of like golden hay <laughs> um, oh wow yeah which is really cool and that uh, sounds really cool I it's really that. cool yeah I'll send I'll send it um to you after that uh, after this I mean um mm -hmm. uh but yeah super cool stuff um I wanted to I usually ask this at the beginning but might as well ask it uh, now um I want to ask how you first became interested in art and painting can you tell me about um yeah like how you what you what it was like growing up, if you were always drawing, if you were always into art and when it sort of germinated? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely always been into um, drawing and, and making art like as a child, um, like anybody else, you know, and I think it just sort of continued. Um, I went to an art magnet high school that definitely helped because before then I didn't really know if that was something I wanted to pursue. I was lucky that my parents were really supportive, but I also had a lot of like mentoring figures that were like friends of my parents who were like already involved in the art scene that I think helped me realize that it was really something I wanted to do. Like I remember being really into the idea of doing illustration. That was something like throughout most of high school that I was interested in wanting to do because I've always been really interested in sort of like cartoonish, uh, you know, ways of interpreting the world and stuff. And I was super obsessed with, I think one of my first like, you know, artistic influences was Robert Crumb. And, you know, I was super obsessed with Robert Crumb when I was younger. I still like him a lot, but, um, and I think I was really interested in, sort of like way in which like people like Robert Crumb sort of like humorously interpret like what it is to be a person. With his case, you know, some ways that are a little questionable, they get a, it gets a little vulgar. Um, but that's also part of being a person. He's pretty good at like kind of prodding the really kind of like uncomfortable, grotesque aspects of what it's like to be a person for sure. Um, it's also a generational thing, I think, for him. I don't think people would really venture that far now, or I don't know if people need to. But 
Yeah. Anyway, so not to trail off too much. Like, yeah, no, I think, I think that... you're. I think you're right. If you don't, yeah, if you don't mind me, um, just jumping in for a second. I I think he. I remember, you know, when I was first learning about him. Um, uh, my dad's a big fan of him, and so he shared some stuff. And we have my parents have some prints of his in their house and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And I had like a tin plate. Awesome. Uh, from like the '90s, like in my kitchen. So cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I watched you know the documentary on him and everything, and still haven't seen that. I need to see that. Yeah, it's cool. It'll it'll get you inspired to just um, lock yourself away and draw all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think you're right. He he. Um, of course, there's that side of him, but you know, he he illustrated like the book of Genesis and stuff. He's like, oh, he's kind of interested in that one. Is awesome. So I've, cool. I've read that. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So he's kind of you know along with all the sort of. Um, uh yeah nasty inner monologue stuff there's all this kind of um real interest in sort of yeah religion and philosophy and being alive and stuff so Mm -hmm. yeah um but go go on you can you can uh continue from from the crumb stuff no yeah he's really a complicated character i definitely don't mean to like pigeon him pigeonhole him as like a pervert like he's he's a very complicated artist and i still have a lot of respect for him um but yeah um yeah, and I, I think that I was always really interested in that, but then I, I started getting more interested in, in painting specifically in this sort of like, you know, option with painting to be more ambiguous, you know? Like I think comic books is based around narrative and illustration is based around interpreting some kind of narrative or some kind of like phenomena or something that that a company commissions you to do. Like illustration is like, like you have an idea and the idea and you're like illustrating the idea and it has to be sort of like within that framework whereas like painting feels more like open-ended like it can be more ambiguous and I think that that started to interest me a lot more towards the end of high school um and I remember like this like mentor of mine showed me Philip Gustin and at first I thought it was the most like ridiculous and ugly and like unappealing, grotesque thing ever. And I couldn't really wrap my head around it. And then I like, but then there was something in me that like, I couldn't stop looking at it for some reason. And then I just got totally obsessed. Um, and I still love him now. And he he was pretty much like the painter that like made me want to do paintings that like kind of made me switch over from illustration or from the fascination of illustration to wanting to just pursue, to spend my life pursuing painting. Mm. Um, yeah, he was like the guy. That's really beautiful. People that, what were you going to say? That's, I was just saying it's really beautiful. I also, before we go too far past it, I, I, want, I definitely want to touch on that, on what you're saying about um, illustration being more kind of narrative based and painting mm-hmm. being a little bit more ambiguous. That's for me, something that, uh, I've tried so many things in my life as I'm sure you have too. And, um, Mm -hmm. it's what drew me, I think, to painting kind of more than anything else is, um, it's not, it's not that you are like shirking some responsibility to say something or anything like that, but it's, it allows you to present things in this sort of, um, quiet and sort of, like you're saying, ambiguous and sort of visceral way. Of course, there are people who work with like text and, and, you know, kind of say things more concretely, but, um, for instance, like I, I studied writing in college and 
obviously if you're writing, it's just text on a page. And so you have to form your ideas and everything. And of course you can still form really concrete ideas with painting, but um, yeah, it's such a cool thing how you can start something and not even really know what it's about um, mm -hmm. until it's done or not ever really know what it's about in general. <laughs> That's the key distinction is not knowing what it's about. Like with painting, like ideally, you know, and this is something that I want to push more with my future paintings is ideally you don't, you might have an idea to start with, right? And to be fair, painters paint in all kinds of ways. You can do whatever you want. But for the most part, you, you might start with an idea, right? And then you start the painting and it goes through like a plethora of transformations and you discover all kinds of things along the way. And a bunch of things happen that you weren't expecting that might be frustrating, but you can choose to just accept them as like happy mistakes that like inspire you. Um, and then it becomes this totally different deal by the time you're done with it. Um, oh, yeah. And I think that with illustration, you like, and I'm not like dismissing illustration at all. Like, I think it's awesome. Um, but like you start with an idea and you're just illustrating it. You, you, you start with this image, with this like story, with a snippet of a story. And you're just like in a, in a clear and defined way, just like illustrating it in whichever whatever your own personal idiosyncratic language, idiosyncratic like visual language might be, you're, you're, illust you're just illustrating it. Whereas like with painting, there's all kinds of transformations that are happening in the process. Now, I think that was the distinction that I found really interesting. And also like just the sort of like, you know, it's good for paintings to be specific, but there's a sort of less of a specificity that I also think is fun. Totally. So when people ask you um, what you're working on or say maybe someone has a studio visit or something and there are things that are in progress, um, if someone if someone says, what is this about or what are you working on? How do you um, so how do you normally navigate answering that? Because I think that's this is something I'm really interested in is, um, uh, you know, if, if I'm per if I'm personally working on something. Uh, like I just, like we were talking about, you might not know what it's about until the end, if you'd know what it's about at all. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. How do you answer that? Do you say, I'm kind of thinking about these things. I'm, I'm seeing where it goes. This is where I started or. Yeah. When, so like your question is like when people ask you what you're working on. Well, so, so here's an example. Like um, uh, I, it sounds like um, we might be in sort of parallel headspaces in this regard, but I've, I used to, um, when I first started drawing, I used to make just like really wacky stuff. Cause I was, I was super drawn to kind of surrealism and, and illustration like you and kind of these exaggerated faces and figures and everything. And, um, when I started taking my practice more seriously, I noticed that the things I was making became more serious and I was just like mm. not having as much fun. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so I just, I wanted, I want to go back to just like making this funny, like light kind of wacky, weird like stuff from my imagination. And so I've right now been working on a painting. That's just that it's just like this kind of fun, like cartoony image that I made up and it's mm -hmm. pretty big. And so I've had some people in my studio and they've said, what's it about? And it's really hard to answer that question because it's just kind of this brain vomit, you know? Yeah. I don't think that you always have to like, really specifically tell people what it's about especially like we were just talking about how like in the process of painting like things are nebulous and they're 
changing and the idea that you started with might end up being something totally different by the time you're done. And so I don't think you always have to have a clear defined answer. That being said, I, I don't like it when people totally avoid, I mean, you don't seem like this kind of person, but I don't like it when people totally avoid talking about their work. I think that's lazy because you can get away with just being all like lofty in the clouds, conceptual bullshit, whatever. But, um, or conceptual can be all talk and no result. You know, it varies. But anyway, so um, I think that you don't always have to have like a really clear, specific answer when people ask questions like that. And, and the question, what's it about to me is so boring. I agree. But yeah, like it, it, usually when you have an exciting conversation about painting, it's like they're just pointing out things that are in there and saying things that could change or, or remarking on something, remarking on the way that, that they, you know, how, how they interpret a certain nuance or detail of the painting, like what it makes them think of. When someone says, like, just right out of the gate, like, what's it about? It just feels like they're not engaging with the painting at all. And they're just, like, expecting you to sort of, like, dish out everything for them. Hmm. When, like, ideally, like, a really good conversation about painting is a, it's a conversation. Totally. You know, it's like, two people exchanging, having, it like, an interesting interaction about this friggin' object that you made. And just kind of like remarking on it. And even if they don't like it, like at least it's, you know, it should be something more than like, like, oh, I don't like this. Or like, oh, what's this about? Or like, you know, like just a simple sentence or blurb like that, I just think isn't useful. Now, that being agree. said, to be fair, not everybody knows how to talk about painting like that. But I do think that even people who don't know you know, or, or, or aren't totally sure how to have like an in-depth conversation about painting should at least be able from their, from whichever way they would enthusiastically talk about something that they're personally interested in should be able to ideally engage with the painting in that way. Yeah. That's really well said on that note. Um, can I ask you about some of the things that you've made recently? Yeah. <laughs> I know. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was so basically this this past, you know, I finished school, right? And I was like painting all the time. I quit my job at one point so that I could totally focus on painting for like a month, at least. I was just like painting a lot, a lot, a lot in the little events painting studio that I had at SAIC. And then I graduated and I was just burnt out and I stopped painting for a month. I didn't draw or do anything for a month. Huh. And then I came, I came back to Chicago and I um, looked for a studio, luckily found one like immediately, the one that I'm in now, I was super lucky, um, like, yeah, and I started working on stuff, I started kind of working on these paintings that were more simplified it was a more simplified route from like what I was working with before, whereas these the paintings where these images are being layered and they're being like mirrored and reversed and it's very kaleidoscope-esque and kind of, I mean, these newer paintings are also very hallucinatory, but these were very like, uh, maybe a little more, a little more complex. Um, and I think that I started, want, I wanted to go on a route that was a little more simplified and, and reduced. 
um, visually. And so I started working on these paintings and then um, I got hit up from Ricky from Martha's Contemporary to, they invited me to do a show there. And then I just started, I was like, okay, well, this is cool. This gives me like a assignment almost or like a deadline to work for. And I just like started um, making a bunch of paintings that were in this route of like these sort of like simplified interpretations of like these kind of like these animals that we like associate with like narratives of the Western frontier and manifest destiny and all that cool stuff. And uh, yeah, I just kind of like dove into that and that show kind of gave me a, a reason to really intensely focus on it. And so for about four to five months, I was just working on um, those paintings. Um, yeah, I wish that I could pull them up to like be seen visually, but like, you know what I'm talking about. I, I definitely do. Yeah. And you know, when, when I share this conversation, I'll of course put, um, you know, links to your, um, work and everything like that. So people can reference it. Um, but yeah, I've been looking at them over the past few days. So I have them in my head right now. Well, before, no, I, awesome. before I, before I get to, um, ahead of myself, congratulations on your Thanks, first show. Man. Yeah. So cool. Um, and as you mentioned before we started recording my best friend, Wes, shout out Wes, he went mm -hmm. and said it was really cool too. Um, so that's, it's really awesome that you've had that experience already. Um, so yeah, soon out of, out of school. Thank you. Um, I'm super grateful. Everyone there is super sweet too. It's a couple that runs it. Yeah. Um, Ricky and Meredith. I forgot to ask what the name Martha comes from. Um, and I'm really kind of pissed at myself. I didn't ask. I'm really curious. But um, <laughs> yeah, let's find out. Because like, I don't know where that name comes from. Yeah. But yeah, they're both super sweet. They were super generous. Um, yeah, just and really funny people, like total characters. Um, yeah, I, I had like a great time with them. Beautiful. Um, so can you can you um, talk a little bit about sort of what you went through in making those paintings? Um, also, you should uh, I should say that there's there's one in particular. Um, I know that favorites, you know, what are favorites when you're talking about paintings, but there's this one, I've saved it, this phantasm painting that you made. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. I absolutely love that painting. I think, Thanks, I think what's so cool is about these for me anyway, is like you said, they're, um, the imagery is more reduced and sort of um, um, delineated than maybe, like you said, sort of more painterly or, or um, yeah, kind of thicker stroke things that you've done in the past or something, but there's still this kind of element um, that sort of weaves that the central figure in the painting into the sort of gradient that it's existing in. Mm -hmm. And I really love that. I, I always say this, but I, I really can't wait to see your work in person one day because you can only get so much from reproduction on a screen. But even even on my computer screen, you can there are these really interesting things happening with, I assume, sort of the medium you're using or um, uh, yeah, just your the kind of way the uh, materials are interacting. But um, yeah, what was, what was it like for you? What was the kind of balance between sort of, um, control and then letting the colors and materials do their thing like for you? Yeah, that's really hard. And especially with those paintings, like, I think like the, the kind of like, like, uh, method that I would use is I would like kind of do these backgrounds that were a lot more freeform and where they were kind of a little more experimental. And I was like letting the water do its thing because you can't really control it as much as you might like and so you kind of just have to like accept that and so the, all those paintings were this kind of like tension between like 
letting things go and keeping things constrained. And I think that that's like the thing that I'm trying to focus on more and more. And I think also, excuse me, in the future, I want to um, kind of let loose more and more. Like, I think, like, I'm really happy with all of these paintings that I made for this show, but like, I also think they're a little tighter than I would like. Um, and maybe, I mean, they weren't easy to make, but they, they look very easy. There's nothing wrong with that per se, but I, I think it would be cool to have things get a little more sloppy and loose and also maybe a little more complex um, in terms of how things are layered. But yeah, with these paintings, it was a big like uh, trade-off between like things being very kind of strictly lined off. Like with that painting you were talking about, I made a, I did a gradient in the background and then I did the stencil and then things happened in the stencil that I wasn't predicting, but they actually ended up looking cool. Like there's this part on the bridge of the horse's nose where it kind of like, it's hard to explain it, it almost like, a, and again, it's hard talking about this without having it in front of you, but people will get it, doesn't matter. Um, where it's kind of like, like a, it looks torn or there's, it, or there's this weird streak mark. And that was like totally on accident, but it, I was like super stoked with how it looks. And I think that that's something that I want to happen more and more, or else I think the paintings will get stale if the yeah, accident like that don't happen. That's exactly what I was noticing when I asked mm -hmm. about that balance between control and and sort of letting it do its thing. Is that mm -hmm. actually that little part? Maybe it's because it's I, I can see it in reproduction. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but to, yeah, it is hard to describe. But just for yeah, whoever's listening, and again, I'll I'll provide references for this. But yeah, it's kind of it almost looks like it's not a drip, but it's like it almost looks like a waveform or something. Um, yeah that's kind of like it's right weird it's like totally mysterious i mean i know how it happened but <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. very mysterious looking and i that's something that i think i want to push more and more yeah because i think that is barely even the tip of the iceberg of what i could do if i just like fuck around more totally yeah i we'll get into um yeah who, who you've kind of been looking at and stuff more in a bit but i've noticed i noticed just in kind of going through your instagram that you've posted a few times about jennifer packer and she's a genius yeah she's wild and i think that for me she's kind of an example of that of that um in my opinion like that perfect balance between that control and that um letting things run wild because you're in front of you're in front of her i've i've luckily seen some of her work in person and when you're in front of it you, it's just like this really overwhelming sort of explosion-y sort of feeling but mm -hmm. but you know you know you can make things out you can really make things out Mm -hmm. um, which is a bizarre and amazing experience. Yeah, she's super good at that kind of like uh, tightrope that we're talking about, where it's like things like kind of abstracting and, and dissolving. Like with her, it's like everything is dissolving. It's like like if you threw turpentine on a really like uh, tightly made painting and it just started dissolving. So it's like this crazy tie between like all these details kind of like you know, falling apart and kind of dissipating. But then like in the midst of that, you you catch all these like details of things that she's like totally clearly rendered. And she's like the best at that. It's crazy. Like when, like I have seen them in person too. And it's like, I, I think I, the last paintings of her I saw in person was a solo show of hers that she had at MoCA a, a couple years ago. And it was like, I was in there for so long, just like gawking at everything because it's fucking mind blowing. Mm. Um, but I'm not supposed to be cursing on this. Let me know. I don't want you to. <laughs> no, no, man. It's, yeah, however you feel. Okay. Yeah. But um, 
just like totally mind blowing. Like, I think she's one of the best painters in this country that's alive. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. enough fanboying. That's like, that's something that like, I really, I really want to get to with my own practice. And I definitely don't think I'm there yet, but that's like a big goal of mine. Um, and I'm glad that you caught at least some of that in some of those paintings. I'm happy to hear that. Um, yeah. And there's also that, you know, as, as you mentioned, so many of them are, are sort of overlapping, not so many of them, but a, a portion of that kind of um, uh, world that you've worked in, there are these overlapping um, situations that happen where you'll like a mirrored um, form or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, what arises out of those overlaps are in themselves like their own little paintings. Um, yeah, that's something that I really liked with those is that they like in it's like a Rorschach. It's like this this abstract image that comes out from in between. Like I remember this one painting I made that I didn't think was great, but I think one of the better parts of it, and it was in that series of those reflected images, was like the image that was came in the middle was like crazy. It was like, some people told me it looked like a gorilla. Some people told me it looked like that famous ancient sculpture of the lady with the hands on her breasts. What's that sculpture called again? I don't know off the top of my head. You know head. what I'm talking about though, right? It's I know what famous. you're talking about. I should know the name of this, but yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll look it up after. Yeah. And, it, and that I really appreciated that it just like creates this weird thing, like this like creature in the middle that's like yeah. really kind of uncanny and strange and you can't put your finger on it. And that, that's another thing I want to try to like explore more in future works, I think. Awesome. So how does, we're, we're going to get um, cut off in a few minutes. I here, see, so yeah. I'm going to have to start it over. So forgive me if you get cut off, but before we do, um, can you talk a little bit about um, how you started working with the kind of Western imagery that shows up in, in this recent stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot of it is really unconscious. It was something that started bubbling up more and more unconsciously throughout my work. Like with early stuff, it was a lot more ambiguous and imaginative and just like these kind of weird characters that were very like art crummy, very Gustiny, um, very Peter Saul inspired, like very like kind of wacky, goofy characters that were in my imagination that I just kind of painted in a sort of like very impasto manner. I was very into like thickly painting stuff, i.e. Gustin again. Um, and I think over time that specificity just like came on its own. It was really weird. I just like started being more, and I think it was largely influenced like it's unconscious because I grew up in Texas for a while. And so mm. that naturally festers in the back of your brain, I think. But it also came a lot from literature. And I think the most specific thing I can pinpoint it to is I'm a huge Cormac McCarthy fan. Awesome. Um, and I think that I started reading more of his books and it just started like coming out more, like just like kind of regurgitating. I mean, with painting, all of and so much of it is so unconscious. Like it, like people ask you, like, where did that specifically come from? Or like, or like what is it about? As someone might ask you and yeah. it's always so much more vague than that and so much more unconscious than that and it's almost like the thing happens and then you project an explanation on it afterward yes like this thing just sort of like manifests organically and then like after the fact you you project something onto it 
That's awesome. That's really well said. And I think that's for me, like one of the sort of like magic elixirs of the whole process mm-hmm. is, is literally learning things about yourself, which is mm-hmm. a very, it's a very bizarre thing, but um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it can teach you what you've been feeling or thinking about and, and just kind of trusting that it'll show up is, um, yeah, how, how, uh, one way that, that can kind of happen. Okay, so I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm in this very kind of like um, uh, reveal the vulnerabilities headspace right now. So mm-hmm. I'm going to keep this part in. Um, for folks that are listening, we got uh, booted after 40 minutes because of Zoom's new uh, paywall thing. It is like $90 to upgrade. So if any That's kind- a lot if, of money. If any, if any kind soul feels like sending me a Venmo or something so that I don't have to get interrupted while <laughs> talking, talking to future people, that'd be so appreciated. It's, you know, for people who work on art, they'll know the feeling. It's like being in the, in, in the flow of something and like your cat jumping through the window or something. Yeah. It's, I, I'm, I'm trying to joke about it. It's not the end of the world, but it is pretty damn annoying. So I would, um, yeah, I, I, if any, any support would be greatly, greatly greatly appreciated. Okay. Well, anyway, um, where were we? We were talking about, um, uh, yeah, the kind of Western uh, uh, imagery that was showing up in your paintings. So from there, I would really like to ask you about the things that, um, came before it. Um, cause some of that oil, uh, stuff that you made, I imagine that was during school as well. Um, but there's, there's this painting you made called a night out. It's these kind of card players. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, um, yeah, one of my favorite things I've seen in a long time. I, I, I when we were talking before this, um, I talked about that still life you made. There's something mm-hmm. about that. It, it's, it's so. It makes me feel so warm and beautiful and um, kind of soft and and uh, <laughs> yeah, just in like a world that feels really comfortable. Um, so yeah, I'd love to know um, uh, what kind of what your headspace was like when you were making those. Um, it seems well, those like- are totally two different. Yeah, uh, true, like true. The, you can start anywhere. I mean, with the the still life one, it was I was kind of in a more abstract like headspace that was more kind of cartoonish, and I think I was just really interested in like creating this kind of world that was like really comical and funny and endearing, like emphasis on endearing for sure. Um, and they varied a lot from like that end of the spectrum to like being kind of weird and uncomfortable, but it was always kind of like meant to be, had, meant to be endearing. Like I was kind of interested in the idea with a lot of the more uncomfortable paintings of like this kind of like entity that is like kind of grotesque, but like funny and like endearing coming from Crown again. Um, and then I think later on, it just got more specific um, you know, and I've always been interested in the idea of narratives, and I've always been interested in the idea that people use narratives to understand who they are and to understand the world around them. And that's something I've always been interested in. I've always been really interested in storytelling, and um, I've always been really interested in the ways in which cultures and people use storytelling again to understand the world around them. And I think just over time, it got more specific. And I think also, I I don't think that my work is really truly that, at least blatantly political, but I think nevertheless, it's inspired to an extent 
by you know the the political goings on of the world of which is pretty troubling um like i think the world is really troubling and volatile right now and kind of always has been in varying degrees but i think that you know i was compelled to get more specific and i just found a route to do that through the the western thing through mm-hmm. these kind of like western motifs and it kind of started with this this painting called searching which is these two guys one with a lantern kind of looking into this fence and it's like they're kind of like looking for something in the dark and they don't really know what it is um and they're kind of these kind of menacing like not friendly figures i would say that are kind of like like almost like like rapidly or aggressively searching for this this thing maybe this thing that they feel like they've lost and that they need to find again which is a big theme politically right now i think with people on the right yeah Um, i I really love that i also want to um before this um slips my mind you're talking about how um you know the sort of um political landscape of things sort of naturally finds its way into what you're doing, whether it's overtly political or not. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know, and we're talking about how so much of, of this process of making stuff is, is subconscious to certain degrees, but I am curious to know whether you were sort of cognizant of the lineage of, of card playing paintings when you made that one that I referenced earlier. Um, no, not really. It was okay. kind of a, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you want to enlighten me on that. But... No, I just, I'm just, I mean, I, I don't, you know, have any sort of, um, ultra specific knowledge. I just know that, you know, everything from Cezanne's card players to, mm-hmm. um, I just, I, I remember learning about how, um, Cezanne's card playing paintings, um, were political in the way that like, you know, like Dutch painters, like Jan Steen had, had painted like these kind of comical, funny, like tricksters playing cards. And it was kind of this like raucous sort of, um, this kind of, you know, just this lightness about observing his own culture. And then Cezanne was like, no, these are working class people playing cards at a table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so even though they're just, you know, simple images, they are, there is that kind of political bent, whether, whether they meant it that way or not, just because it mm-hmm. reflects the times a little bit. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm wondering if those, if those figures that you painted, um, yeah, if you felt a certain kind of way about them, if they were, um, you know, in, yeah. in, in their environment. Yeah. I think the, the card playing thing is merely a, 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 like a means to put people in a specific place and give them a specific action. Yeah. And there's also something about gambling that I think is, is interesting. It's a great point. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I never thought about the card playing aspect so much. I always thought about like the, the, the clothes they were wearing and the, mm. the, the atmosphere they were giving off and the environment they were in. But I think the card playing point is important. I mean, every aspect of it is important to talk about, I think. But I think that the, the cards is like, like gambling is this like really fun. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if you like poker, but poker is really fun. There's stuff at stake, but it's like, if you're, you know, and it can it can increasingly get more and more in stake, but it's like inherently this kind of like, you know, people. It's inherently a vice, right? And it's inherently kind of indulgent and even kind of like nefarious a little bit. And people can cheat. People do cheat, and it feels like this sort of like microcosm for like maybe even the world. I don't know. That might be like a stretch to say that. 
But I think that's maybe where the appeal with like poker and art comes from and like in music and in literature. Like I've been reading a lot of Faulkner lately and he's always comparing people to gamblers. And I think it's a way of like, um, like, like a way to portray a certain person who maybe, I'm not saying all people who gamble have ill intent, obviously it's not something that goes across the board like that, but I think how like in gambling you can have ill intent or in gambling you can have the intent to cheat so that you're, you win over your opponent or like in gambling, it, it might be like this kind of like dishonest, untrue sport, right? Mm. Where, there, where anything is at stake, where anything is at stake. I think that that's the most important thing to talk about. Mm, I but I that. think that the characters are, were kind of like an early attempt of me trying to like portray this like trope of the cowboy or this like, you know, great Western figure, this like straight white male Western figure is this sort of like heroic, um, you know, hero, heroic hero is pretty redundant. I, I guess I should say like this, this, this heroic figure that's really important in American culture since the dawn of our culture and how it's actually this really flippant and hollow and precarious notion that is built on false narratives. Um, and that painting was probably my earliest attempt at trying to depict that. I don't think I really successfully did with that one. I don't think that ended up being a lot more clear until these more recent paintings or mm. because I think what's important about these more recent paintings is that the materiality of the paintings match the concept. And that's how I think I started to get things to come across in a way that was more specific is like the materiality of these paintings really clearly match the idea that these, these symbols, these mythologies these, these like iconographies of like the west the cowboy the horse are all built on these like false notions that you know of like manifest destiny that like this of what we were all taught in high school that this land was like our god-given right to assimilate whereas it was a lot more complicated than that and there was a lot of horrible atrocious things that occurred in that period of time that is portrayed as just this sort of like innocent accumulation of land of which i don't know how much we need to get into that because that would probably be a totally different podcast but i think yeah. that that's something that i'm really interested in and it's something that i'm interested in and discussing through my paintings in a way that isn't too on the nose yeah that is a little abstract and subtle but that doesn't forget that and that also tries to acknowledge like well as like a, a white guy like what naturally is my place in this what is like my own complicity in this large narrative right i mean one painting that i've been looking at over and over again with all this that i've been trying to figure out how to do this in my own manner is the painting the studio by philip gustin where he portrays himself as a clansman doing a self-portrait and i think that's like one of the most genius paintings ever because he's like doing that in his own weird funny but also strange and, and uncomfortable manner and you know trying to unearth his own complicity in these own in these narratives and cultures that he's critiquing himself it's like this endless labyrinth or something and I think that that is something that I'm really interested in engaging in my own terms I don't know how to do that yet but that's what I want to do 
Mm. Um, that's like the signpost in the distance, you know? Yeah, that's excellent, man. I really appreciate you saying all that stuff. Yeah, it really colors your work in a, in a kind of new dimension. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm, yeah, it's, it's really well articulated. And I, I want to be careful not to go down too many rabbit holes, like you're saying, but um, one connection mm-hmm. I do want to make right now is, and you probably have another, like you could t- probably talk for hours about this. I saw, I don't know how long you worked with him for. I saw that you assisted um, Vincent Valdez at one point. Yeah, he's awesome. He's just, he's kind of like a, uh, not for my personal taste necessarily, but in terms of like just his execution, he's kind of like a God to me. <laughs> he's, yeah. He's, he's really, he, he's he, very like, influenced by these sort of like old masters i mean his influence goes across the board but like he's very into this very like traditional old school way of painting for sure and for and very very good at it yeah for those uh folks listening who maybe aren't aware of him or or the sort of um ways that he's shown up in the culture i can't remember when it was so forgive me but relatively recently he made this massive like 30 or 40 foot wide painting of essentially hooded clan um clans uh, clan members looking at the viewer looking at the viewer doing sort of doing sort of contemporary things like like you know tapping on an iphone or and there's Mm -hmm. kind of like a chevy in it or some uh, something like that um were you um around when that was like when did you when did you i was at the opening the the gallery yeah so the the museum the blanton and austin owns it that's part of why i went while i was in town they have a couple paintings of his up but they don't have that one up it's in a basement i guess Mm. but um yeah so i i studio assisted him i've known him for a long time he was one of the people who made me realize i wanted to pursue painting as well very influential for me i would definitely consider him a mentor um and I was, yeah, I was like in conversation with him when he made that painting. I was at the gallery opening, who the gallery, the owner of the gallery, I'm also friends with David, um, uh, in Houston, I was at that gallery opening and it was definitely super controversial. Yeah, that's so special, that man, that you got to be a fly on the wall for that. Yeah. And very progressive. Yeah. It still ended up being very controversial and i understand that but i think it's unfortunate when people have really reductive views on things where it's like oh it is an image of a clans person and thus it is bad and thus we must condemn it um it's a lot more complicated than that like with that painting he's trying to get in the idea of like the complicitness that everyday people have in these really like foul ideologies you know and these foul organizations and how you know, everyone who's, you know, I don't want to speak for him too much. Also, like, it's not my painting, of course, but I've talked to him about it. And um, those are like, ideas that I'm very interested in. Um, And I, I, if I remember correctly, one thing he was really interested in is sort of the idea of like the banality of evil, you know, as this this notion that Hannah Arendt was really are you familiar with Hannah Arendt philosopher no you should I don't read think so. that book it's a very good book and it's something that I'm really obsessed with and it's again too yeah gotta talk about that another time but you should just research it it's about the trials of um Adolf Eichmann who was like in charge of like deporting the Jews to concentration camps this whole horrible thing and how Hannah Arendt was like he's not a monster he was just this ordinary guy that was like 
swept up by the evil bureaucracy of the Third Reich. And obviously he didn't have inner judgment. He had no inner resources. And that's why he was able to be swept up by that. And he still has to be held accountable. But that he isn't this sort of like cartoonish monster that people were expecting when he was put on trial. Mm, And so it just goes to show... And if I remember correctly, this is a notion that Vincent was interested in engaging with with that painting is that behind the hood are just these sort of like everyday ordinary people that you might not even suspect to be behind that hood. But once they have that hood, uh, that that veil of ideology, they're able to like almost transform themselves and also be part of this larger body. Right. Like a, a, a gear in a larger machine. Yeah. Incredible. That's yeah. That's really well it's said. A, also, it's a fucking insane painting, man. Yeah, if you I was see gonna. It in person, there's so many details to it. Yeah, I don't want to harp on it too much, but but I, I do want to ask you what your personal experience was, just just for you of seeing it in person. What was what was it like? It's such a the scale of it and the and the intricacy of it's it. It's is... like very overwhelming and vast, and makes you feel small, which I mm. think is maybe <laughs> maybe his intention. I don't know. I mean, again, I'm a little weary about talking too much yeah. about his painting for him. I'm, you know, I, but I'm pretty sure those were notions that he was interested in investigating. Yeah, I think I think that more than suffices. Um, yeah. yeah, just to bring it back to your practice, I, I am always curious um, for any artist, but especially for you, what your process of um, forming ideas is like, what's what's kind of the rhythm of your, of your studio routine? Are you sketching? Are you taking photos of things out in the world? Like what is kind of the roadmap from little seed germinating in your mind to actually putting it on a canvas or whatever surface you're using? Yeah. I mean, it like varies from painting to painting, but it's always this sort of like abstract thing that um, kind of matures over time in its own way. And usually I have this kind of like flickering idea and then I'll, I'll make a lot of drawings. And then lately with like a lot of these paintings, I'll like find images on, on Google that kind of suit my idea that I can manipulate on Photoshop. And then I make drawings from that. And then sometimes I'll actually just directly project the Photoshop image. But with these recent paintings, since I haven't had a projector um, and since also I want things to be in my hand more often, um, I, I like will just adapt those Photoshop illustrations in my own hand. And then with a lot of these paintings, I used large sheets of uh, tracing paper and just trace them on. So it varies from series to series. It varies from painting to painting, but usually it's like, I'll have this idea and I make a ton of drawings and then it like culminates from there. That's where the illustration practice was really useful for me. I think is that, uh, um, one thing they push a lot in illustration is doing thumbnail sketches. Like I took an illustration class once and they had us do something crazy, like a hundred thumbnail sketches for like different ideas. And um, it just has you like, kind of like, cause nothing can fully form itself in your mind. You have to like articulate it some way on paper and then it takes shape and then you can kind of go from there. Um, yeah. And I, I'd say, that's kind of where it comes from. A lot of my ideas are, I'm very influenced by literature. I would say a lot of my ideas kind of take some influence from literature. Um, and then it just like manifests on my own terms. I'm not saying I directly illustrate from books, but I, but I think that a lot of the writers that I read, like such as like, I'm really influenced by like Carmack McCarthy and William Faulkner and 
people like that. Um, you know, especially lately, I've been really interested in the Southern Gothic aesthetic. Hmm. And um, I think that my painting practice sort of just like, well, like, like I'll, I'll, I'll consume all these forms of media, whether book, movie, whatever else. And then it just sort of like gets regurgitated through my, my own painting practice. And I just kind of like compulsively do these drawings in my sketchbook. And then they sort of like manifest. That's probably the best way to talk about it. And, and also I, I write sometimes, sometimes I'll write ideas out, ideas that I have that are more abstract that I actually don't know how to illustrate as paintings. Like, like recently I was doing that. Like I, I was thinking a lot about like Southern Gothic architecture, but I don't really know how to um, visually manifest that yet in a way that, that pleases me. I've done some drawings, but they don't work. I don't like them. And so instead I was like, okay, well, how about I just like write about it for a minute? And so I, I, I wrote a lot about, um, I, I wrote a lot about like uh, my, my, my fascination with, with that architecture and the symbolism that I think it has of like early, especially like early settler houses, sort of like shoddy houses that were just like a, cast upon like plop down in the land almost it's and, really interesting yeah i think one I of the write a lot about it it varies you know anyway yeah i think i think um for me at least one of the main takeaways from what you're saying is um how the yeah the process of just making sure making sure that you filter it through whatever it is sketching writing is what sharpens it um mm -hmm. into something worth taking also before i forget this have you read um barry hannah before no okay hell yes i'm so happy that i get to recommend this to you okay it's i don't know if i would necessarily call it southern gothic but he's a writer who worked um who's just how do you most... spell it barry and then havana like havana uh hannah barry hannah oh barry hannah okay. yeah like the like the uh like h-a-n-n-a-h like um, the lady's name okay. yeah he has a short story collection called airships that i think it i don't remember the exact year i think it was like 73 or something but he he writes about the south um specifically from when he was growing up so if i remember correctly i don't want to um uh say the wrong information but i think the south in like the 50s and 60s kind of thing but it's it the the kind of that southern patina is laid on so thick not in like a not in like a excessive way but in just such a colorful and rich and sort of alien way that makes the worlds he builds feel so their own um, mm -hmm. that it really takes you out. It, it feels like reading about a different a different place than we consider the South. It's like it's a thing that only he experienced that he can bring you kind of thing. Um, mm. It's really, really just the best. So uh, it's I'll uh, check it out. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll have to send it to you. I think you'd have a just based on what you're saying about your interest in, in the South and the Southern Gothic and that sort of thing. I think you'd have a really good time um, with with his sort of. Um, interpretation because it's these it's these characters man it's these like like wrinkled people on on you know fishing boats it's like it's like violent uh lovers you know like kind of um just trying to figure it out as oh, they go understands your orphan sounds really familiar yeah i haven't i haven't read it but um uh yeah i have read of a lot of his other stuff and it's 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 just really really great um and it's cool that cool that you're consistently reading too yeah, that, that's a really important part of just my own practice, I think, uh, in yeah. like in adjacent ways, like doing research and stuff. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I'd say that's kind of how my ideas form. Cool. And so, um, as you're doing that, do you have like a sort of, um, schedule that you normally, and I mean this in a very kind of practical sort of a cut and dry way. Do you, is, do you show up in the same way every day or is it, is it kind of, what's your sort of, um, rhythm with how you make things? Is there a certain part of the day you like to work? Are there things that you do in terms of, do you go on walks? Do you meditate? Do you uh, work certain hours? Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I, it varies. So I, I, the best way to, to explain it is I work full time at a restaurant Mm -hmm. and um, I have to schedule my studio time around that. Right. And so basically, especially with this show, I was so busy. It was like every day that I was not at the restaurant, I was in my studio. I would say that I treat as most serious artists do. I treat my studio as work. You know, like when I go there, I, it is, it is work. It's a very, it can be a very fun and fulfilling form of work, but it's work ultimately. And that's how I've always tried to treat it. That's the way that I'm the most productive. Um, when I'm there, I really try to eliminate distractions. I'm not always successful, but that's what I try to do. Um, I don't have any, you know, I'm, but that being said, I'm not particularly strict about it. I, I go in and I try to get a certain amount of things done, but I'm not usually like, okay, I'm spending minimum this amount of time today. I try to let it be a lot more organic because that's just how I work the best. I work when things are a little more organic. Um, I, I Maybe eventually I'll start setting more strict guidelines, but as of now, the most strict I've got is just like, when I go in, I, I'm, I'm there to work. I'm not there to fuck around. Mm. I'm not necessarily like, okay, like let's treat this like a shift. Like I'm gonna be there five hours at least. I can't be there any less because then sometimes that might even be less productive like i'll just be forcing myself to stay um what i do try to do is like if i get there and i don't feel like doing anything i still try to get myself to do something and then oftentimes it's like i the gears start turning and i wake up and i'm like okay but um yeah and then i'd say i don't know i i don't really my studio isn't located in a place that where i'm like okay i'm gonna get out and take a walk it's not a very pretty area frankly um so it, that actually helps in a weird way. Um, sometimes I'll, I usually bike to my studio. So sometimes I'll be like, okay, I'm going to go and get some lunch or get some coffee and then come back. I do do stuff like that. Um, I'll take like reading breaks while I'm in the studio. Um, uh, in terms of music, I definitely listen to a lot of music while I paint. And it, it's a really funny spectrum of studio music that's going on. It's like either like, Ambient music, I say that for for the most part, I listen to like ambient music. Like I'm a huge fan of, I don't know if you're familiar with Stars of the Wind. No, say that again. You should check them out. I can text you my favorite albums of theirs, but they're really great, really good studio music. Um, They're like my favorite ambient group. It's like this duo. I don't think they're around anymore. Um, But it will go from like stuff like that to like stoner metal. And then I don't know if you're familiar with like Sleep or like... uh, Mm-hmm. you are yeah yeah uh like dope smoker yeah or like uh, are you familiar with earth yeah 
Yeah, I'm a huge Earth fan. I'm awesome, actually seeing man. them in Chicago. I'm really excited. No but way. anyway, we don't have to go on a tangent. No, no, this is great. I, I I almost exclusively listen to ambient music. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I, I But I would say the bulk of the time I am listening to ambient music because it leaves space for your own thoughts, basically. Yeah, that's the thing is sometimes when you listen to too noisy music, it gets really distracting. And I had... Uh, um, who was I talking to about this? I can't remember if I recorded it or not. So maybe it'll be in a past episode or something. But um, yeah, I was talking with someone about the uh, the rhythm between yeah forming the ideas. And then once you once you have the track laid out, you can then introduce that kind of noisier or more up-tempo stuff that kind of you can sort of you can just go because you know where you're going, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, but it's I'm so happy that I get more ambient music recommendations um, from you because what'll happen is I'll find, I'll find an ambient, like right now I have worn out the, the album music for psychedelic therapy by John Hopkins. It's like, that That sounds cool though. I'll send it to you. Yeah. John Hopkins is like, I mean, he's an electronic musician. He makes, in the past he's made really like heavy clubby sort of dance music. And he was like Brian Eno's protege for a while when he was younger, Mm -hmm. but now he's, he's kind of big into like psychedelics and he keeps making just soft ambient music. And so he made this one album called music for psychedelic therapy and the album art is just this kind of like white piece of paper with this sort of like splotchy pink watercolor on it. And it's just like these, he, he made, he made it from field recordings in these caves and in, um, ta- uh, where was it? I can't remember, but he went and lived in these caves for like a few weeks and recorded these noises and then sort of blew them up and let them bleed into these giant ambient compositions and it's oh. just, it's just so beautiful, but, and it's like an hour long. So I'll just have that on repeat. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, you know, it's not like I'm sick of it because ambient music is so sort of um, nebulous, but I definitely am recognizing parts of it now. And I'm like, I need something else. <laughs> you know, William Basinski? Totally. Yes. Disintegration yes. loop. Yeah. That makes yeah. Me yeah. Oh, cool. Awesome. Cool. All right. I think that's a, a, a beautiful place to, oh, and I'm, yeah, I'm getting the reminder again that we're running out of time. Um, (laughs) but thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad that one way or another for inviting me, this was really fun. I really like talking about art with people. And it's also interesting when you talk about your own practice, like how things sort of like unfold, it, it, it makes you think a lot about it more. Like I don't usually verbalize it in that way. Um, so it's kind of interesting to verbalize it. And then as a result, kind of like see myself talking about it and it's like oh that's kind of crazy yeah and for me it really helps like i love and i've heard so many people it, it just keeps reinforcing this thing that that really helps me like mentally which is you're talking about this organic approach to the way that you work for me that's so helpful to hear and i can't hear it enough mm-hmm. because like uh clara nolte who is a painter i talked to for this uh, for a past episode of this she said this thing that really stuck with me where she said the studio will always tell you that you didn't do enough yeah, and, for sure. And I and I think that that's really that's so real for me, especially because mm-hmm. I'm sort of in the earlier parts of my practice, and I'm like trying to get to this place to where, you know, people take my practice seriously, or I'm making work that I like, whatever you want to say. But I'll go in there, and and the less that I can have, sort of like these brutal checklists that really like bog me down. The yeah, better. I almost feel like that makes it harder. It's totally, so, it so does. Rigid and uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, and like yesterday. 
it was one of the first days in a while where I did very little, but I was just sort of like gessoing things, but I was really thinking like in an uninterrupted way. And like the whole day there was like no music on. I just didn't feel like putting it on. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to people on the phone and FaceTiming and I was just having really good conversations all day. And mm -hmm. by the end of the day, I just gessoed a bunch of canvases and talked to a bunch of people and like did a few little sketches and that was kind of it, but it felt like a full meal. You know, it felt like yeah, a whole, man. it felt like a whole thing. And I think that's so helpful for, for me and, and hopefully for you and for anyone listening to remember is like one of the weird things about trying to become a full-time artist or someone who lives off of their work is like, it's not like any other kind of work. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not like an Excel sheet that you have to finish by the end of the day. It's, exactly, this, it's yeah. this nebulous thing where like you could be sitting on a couch for three straight hours doing absolutely nothing and you could come up with an idea that you really you really love yeah exactly it's like a lot more abstract and that's what's so much so great about it. it's like so fulfilling in a way that's like very personal you know it, it very it's very subjective it's like whatever you i don't even want to use the word productive because it's like as painters we're like trying to stray away from that like the notion that like to be successful in the world is to be very productive and to work in a field that is very profitable. You know, like that's the whole thing. Like I don't want, I like selling my paintings, but I don't want to make paintings to sell. There's a big difference. Yes. And, um, and that, that's why the, the studio routine is like diligent, right? Like you're there, you try to be there if you can every day. I definitely don't meet that criteria, especially lately, but um. You, you try to be diligent, but you also work on your own structure, like whatever is best for your mind, right? And whatever you're gonna get the most satisfaction and fulfillment from. All right, so that's my conversation with Leroy Winter. I hope you enjoyed what he had to say as much as I did and that you get a chance to check out his work um, either online or hopefully if you're in the austin area at the show that he's got up through the first couple of weeks of august um leroy thank you again for being so generous with your time it was so fun talking to you and i can't wait to meet in person one day uh, the music you hear throughout the episode is produced by sam peacock you can find my own work at connordillman.com and as always there are going to be more great episodes coming up so subscribe to the show if you've been enjoying it and thank you so much for listening.